Luckily, I don't have a lot of scripture to read. Fix it. Yeah. You're recording right now, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the Version Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. And we also have a plan available on our website, grove.church. And as usual, if you have any questions while you're reading along with us, maybe you're listening along with us, or maybe you just have different questions that come up as you're reading the Bible in different places, uh, we would love to take time to answer those questions as much as we can week over week in our podcast episodes. Uh, so I would love for you to send those questions in. There's two ways we ask you to send them in. One is an email. The email address is info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line a Let's Read the Bible podcast question or a podcast question. Uh, so that way it gets uh, disseminated to us. Or you can jump on the Facebook. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. You can direct message us there with those questions as well. Full disclosure, beloved, dear listeners, uh, there's some good questions that came in this week and it's the week of Easter and we're not going to answer any of them because it's, we've been pretty slammed, but next week we'll start getting to them. Don't you, don't you fret, but. And if they keep piling up, we might even just do a special Q and a episode just to help alleviate some of it. That's but true. It's possible. We'll do what we can. So uh, we appreciate your grace. It is Easter week, like Evan said, so we're coming into Easter weekend. Uh, and so it's kind of fun to see some of the readings that we're going to be jumping into as you're listening to us. It's actually the week after Easter. It starts on Sunday, which is Easter Sunday. But the, after the Easter, we'll see uh, actually some of the things we read today in Psalms and even in uh, the book of Matthew specifically tie in to Easter weekend. So I think yep. it's kind of a fun a fun way to... to reflect back on the weekend of celebration we just had. So uh, the first thing we're going to do today is we're going to cover the Psalms that we're going to touch on this week. Uh, And so there's a total of six Psalms that we're going to read this week. Psalm 34, 22, 109, 110, 135, and 136. Uh, Those are the Psalms we're covering this week. Uh, And so as usual, I'm just going to kind of give us a very uh, simple overview, 30,000 foot level, if you will, to look at uh, and kind of have a little bit of context reading these Psalms. Uh, so we're going to start with Psalm 34. Uh, this is an expression of thanksgiving for God's protection and care for those who trust him. It's a Psalm of David, uh, and it actually connects to uh, King David's interaction with the King uh, Achish, Achish of Gath. Uh, and we see this story in 1 Samuel chapter 21, 10 through 15. So I'm actually going to take a moment and read that, uh, because as you read Psalm 34, this is what it's connecting to. Uh, it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10 to 15. It says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And so he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane. Oh, I just read the same verse. Sorry. Verse 14 says this. And then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? And then finally, verse 15 says, do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Uh, and so this psalm is, is David's response to being delivered from the the, the hands of the king of Gath. Uh, and it is just, it's kind of interesting, some of the nuances of, you know, David kind of was was very shrewd and how he, when he was fleeing from Dave, or Saul, he didn't want... Uh, to be captured either because his reputation had gone before him. Uh, and so he acted like a madman. And so he celebrates God's provision and protection in the midst of that. Well, and also full disclosure, I feel personally attacked because this morning I woke up with spittle running down my beard. <laughs> and now apparently that's the mark of a madman. So whatever. I, I'm not going to comment on that, bro. So uh, so yeah, that was Psalm 34. So that's, that's just the context uh, that David is writing and celebrating and being thankful for God's care and protection. Uh, it, we, there's this verse often that I, I think of in, in different circumstances like this, with the idea of uh, being shrewd as a serpent, but gentle as a dove. It's in, it's in the Bible, but... Felt like is, a butterfly sting like a bee. Yeah, that that's in the Bible. Wait, no, it's not. <laughs> um, but it is just this tension of how, you know, David's acting very shrewdly here. Uh, and, and it is kind of a... a kind of a funny, interesting thing to, to see David play like that, act like that to kind of elude uh, the king and, and uh, that country in itself. So, uh, so that's Psalm 34. That's the week, that's the song we're starting off with. We're also going to hit uh, Psalm 22. 
Um, and this is a this is a pretty f- you know familiar psalm. As you read it, you'll you'll recognize and hopefully you'll see some uh, connection back to Jesus' death on the cross, where he actually quotes portions of this psalm. Which, whenever in the new, the majority of the time in the New Testament, when uh, an author or even Christ would quote a portion of a psalm, he often the intent was to draw his audience, their audience, back uh, to the entirety of the context of the psalm. Uh, and so, Psalm twenty-two. Uh, is just this appearance. Uh, if we look at it from the Old Testament context, it has the appearance of an especially anguished individual lament, uh, where the suffering that the one is feeling comes from the attacks of people uh, and is intensified by the mockery of those who should feel sympathy. Uh, the reciter of this lament looks forward to the vindication and joyful worship with the rest of God's people, despite the mockery. Uh, and that's the Old Testament context. When it's brought into the New Testament, I, w- I want to offer a simple suggestion to us today. Uh, Oftentimes in, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, in uh, the era that we live in as Christians, we will take the psalm and filter it through Jesus's use on the cross, uh, which isn't bad because it can and does provide good enhancement to some of the meaning and intent of the psalm. But I would also suggest that we aim to see the psalm as providing lament for the innocent sufferer first, um, and then understanding how the Gospels use this to portray Jesus as the innocent, the actually excellent innocent sufferer. Um, in the midst of all of it. And so it's it's not to say it's one or the other, but sometimes we can we can think and and it's not always misled that this psalm alludes to Christ's death on the cross, which there's connection there, but I also think it's interesting and, and really important to understand that the original intent of the psalm was also uh, a lament from severe suffering. Well, I think a huge theme of the Old Testament is that Jesus is the better blank. Yes. And I think even there what you can see is this is a psalm about it's lamenting for the innocent sufferer, and then later in the Gospels we see that Jesus is the ultimate innocent sufferer. Yeah, um, I mean we're going to be talking about innocent sufferers a little bit later today, anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, boy, it all connects. And it's and this is the this is the heartbeat of the weekend, uh, and this is what I think is really fun, uh, in kind of a a, a, a serendipitous way uh, that we're able to take time this week to reflect. Um, on not just Psalm 22 and the crucifixion and death of Christ on the cross, but also the resurrection. And is a great, I mm-hmm. think, a simple reminder too. So um, we're going to hit Psalm 109 as well. This is an individual lament geared towards a situation where a uh, faithful Israelite is suffering the attacks of vicious accusers. Again, weird theme. Classic accusers. Uh, who are, And then the, in essence, these accusers are returning evil uh, to him for the good he has done. Again, Christ, uh, interesting parallel, but it says, uh, but also the idea of contains an extensive prayer that his accusers would get what they deserve <laughs> and finishes a prayer that appeals to uh, and rests confidently on God's steadfast love. The one nuance here is as you think about Christ and reflecting on his, him being um, returned evil for the good that he has done, his prayer is actually the opposite of this one. His prayer is not that they would get what they deserve. It's God forgive them for they don't know no, what they point. do. Um, but it, again, it causes, it, it's an interesting and great way to just reflect on the ability to lament. And and I mean, the psalmist David does this too. He he asks for the, the his evildoers, those who are coming against him to, re- to, to receive their due punishment. Um, so it just kind of helps frame some of that, and but then also bring it into the New Testament light. Um, so that was Psalm 109, the individual lament there. Psalm 110. It's a little bit different shift where it's this royal psalm, which again, as a reminder, the, a royal psalm is is a psalm whose theme deals with the house of David and the life of God's people. Uh, it goes beyond any human error achievement and looks toward the coming Messiah. Almost the entirety of this psalm is focused on the future. Uh, so it's not looking to a human error, but it's human error as in uh, inheritance or, or co-heir, not like heir or error or whatever. Uh, but it's looking towards the heir and the one who's going to sit on the throne appropriately. It, and it points to the coming Messiah. Um, it's one of the things that I thought was interesting was that when the people would sing this in faith, they would celebrate God's promises to Davis, David, not Davis, to Davis. Um, and yearn for the day in which the Gentiles receive the light uh, and seek uh, to be faithful to their calling until that great day. Um, today, as Christians may sing this song or remember this psalm, um, they celebrate that Jesus has taken his David, Davidic kingship uh, by his resurrection and that God is now busy subduing, I love this, subduing the Gentiles into the empire of Christ. Ooh. A little Star Wars vibe to me is what it feels like. Um, but it is, it's this tension and this, this beautiful picture that Christ is now has sitting on the throne that was heir, the heir of David, um, the the branch of Jesse, and and now he's 
in essence, creating, uh, you know, an empire seems so dark to me because of Star Wars, but he's ushering in the kingdom that he has promised for. Mm -hmm. um, fun little fact that I did find is that this Psalm is one of the most cited Old Testament texts in the entire New Testament. Which is funny because when you think of the famous Psalms, 110 doesn't come to no, mind. No, exactly. Usually. So it's, yeah, it's cool. Nope. Two more Psalms this week. Psalms 135. Uh, Psalm 135 calls for God's people to sing and celebrate God's majestic power that he's displayed um, his deeds on behalf of Israel. Um, each generation that sings this would then strengthen their faith in and loyalty to the Lord and deepen their gratitude toward him for their privileges. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the intent and the heartbeat of Psalm 135. And then Psalm 136, um, I actually preached on this a little bit ago, uh, several months ago, I guess. Um, but this whole Psalm is just simply caused uh, individuals to give thanks to the Lord who has shown his steadfast love throughout the history of God's people. Um, and it's the, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love so. endures forever. That's an old school song. So, like uh, but those would be the Psalms that we hit this week. Uh, I told Evan before we started recording, I, there's a lot to the meat of the Psalms this week that we're going to be hitting. Um, some will help enhance and reflect back on Easter weekend. Um, and, and I think that's kind of a fun piece to it too. I do have to give a shout out to, because uh, if, if you don't know this, we don't make the Bible reading plans. What? So I'm I not know. supposed to tell you, but I'm just kidding. And even though it's called the Let's Read the Bible Together, that was just a, uh, that was a coincidence. But great. This 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 year's been a great plan. The way yeah. all the themes connect. Oh, man. So shout out to the creators, the authors. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, we're going to move on to Joe. But before we do, a couple of exciting announcements for you listeners, because Ooh. I teased it out a little bit. We've been getting questions. We've been getting asked. So Listen, next. I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt because I know a few of you have actually cornered me in the lobby the last couple of weeks. Not cornered me. That's a strong word. You've come to me and asked me about uh, this podcast thing that we've teased out. And and I will, I just want to go on public record and, and say that I've thrown Evan under the bus multiple times because he's the one that started the teasing out and then heard nothing about it afterwards. So uh, Evan, it's your fault. It's, I, I accept it. All right. So there's two two things that are going to be happening starting next Sunday, actually. So they're both, well, all right, we'll, we'll get Our to next it. podcast. Next podcast. So we're going to launch it. It's called What I Didn't Say. And this is going to be a different type of podcast, but it's going to be following our standard Sunday messages. And so I'll be hosting it, and then we'll have a third chairperson, and then whoever spoke that Sunday, and we're really just going to get into conversations about going deeper into those messages, getting deeper into topics. So it's going to be called What I Didn't Say. I'll post, uh, we'll have a link to it in the actual podcast notes next week, so that way you won't, you won't miss out on it. And I believe, I should have written this down, I believe it debuts on Wednesdays, I think is when we're going to put it up there. So it won't be on Sundays like, you know, let's yeah, read the Bible. Something different, but. And it's going to be video as well. So there'll be an audio what? portion to it and you'll be able to see it on camera, which means listeners, beloved listeners, dear listeners, if for some unimaginable reason you want to see our faces when you listen to us talk, <laughs> you will also be able to next Sunday. This is our final Sunday, or this is our final recording where we will not also be videoed as well. So we have a little studio that we've put together um, and we'll be we'll be recording there from now on. So, yeah, so you'll be able to see my reactions to Evan when he makes comments. Yep. Uh, and you'll see, yeah, you'll see a lot. You'll be, you'll, you're in uh, beyond the veil uh, of just our voices. When we make dumb comments, now we'll be able to look at the camera <laughs> and just kind of be awkward. And I'll just shake my head at sometimes, but. All right. Uh, and the other thing too, is maybe you don't attend our church, but you're a listener, which thank you for listening. Um, I'd be curious and you'll have to let me know if our voices match what you anticipated we look like. So that's, that'll be kind of funny for me. Cause there's been moments I'm like, you look nothing like I thought you did based upon your voice. So that's true. Not that you directly, Evan, but anyways. So yeah, something brand new we're going to try and do and uh, just continue to, uh, to build the, the community. If you thought we'd be more handsome, just keep that to yourself though. All right. So Job uh, chapter 18 is where we're going to kick it off. We actually start off in 17, but that's kind of finishing up Job's uh, reply from the previous week. So in this one, we're introduced to the second speech of Bildad. So remember, we're kind of in the middle now of that second cycle of speeches. And when I say the cycle, it means, you know, one of the friends will speak, Job replies, another friend speaks, Job replies, another friend speaks, Job replies, and then the cycle starts all over again. Um, like Eliphaz before him, he tries the tactic of describing the fate of the wicked man to see if this may sound familiar, familiar to Job. So... Uh, it's uh, it's a little obnoxious because this is kind of what they do. They're just like, hey, look, here's all the stuff that's going to happen to the wicked. And wow, Job, 
stuff is happening to you. That's crazy. <laughs> Man, well, Joe, why do you think that is? Why do you think all the wicked things are happening? So I don't know. I'd be... I'd just slap my friends around if they kept doing that to me. Uh, so where Eliphaz focuses on the poverty and the ruin of the wicked, uh, Bildad speaks to the inner guilt and the wicked anticipation of looming, looming judgment. So this is a, a quick passage from it. It says, Indeed, the light of the wicked is put out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light in is dark in his tent, and his lamp above him is put out. His strong steps are shortened and his own schemes throw him down for he is cast into a net by his own feet and he walks on its mesh. A trap seizes him by the heel. A snare lays hold of him. A rope is hidden for him in the ground, a trap for him in the path. Terrors frightened him on every side and chase him at the heels. His strength is famished. His calamity is ready for its stumbling. It consumes the parts of his skin. The firstborn of death consumes his limbs. He is torn from the tent which he is in which he trusted and is brought to the kings of terrors. All right. I, I really okay, so I really like this chapter of Job because it reminds me so much of Macbeth. And so Macbeth is one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. Um, but the whole play is about essentially the guilt of someone who knows that they had done wrong, the guilt of a wicked man um, and w- wicked people, really. And as the play goes on, they begin to become more and more consum- consumed over the guilt of what they've done. Um, I just So we just got back from vacation, Ashley and I, my wife. And so we went over to one of the places we went was London, and we got to go see Macbeth at the actual Globe Theater, which is really, which is really cool. Um, but I felt bad because Ashley asked me beforehand, okay, well, tell me like, the plot of the play. So she like follow what's going on. And so I told her, and then, so we get to the end and then she is like, well, what did you think? Or I was like, what do you think? And she was like, well, it's cool. But like, there was no like redemptive moment. And I was like, oh yeah, it was like a tragedy. But like, I realized now, like the way I described it was like, oh yeah, it's about a man. And he's like racked by guilt and he does these things. And then I was like, I won't tell you the ending. Cause you know, I won't spoil it. So I, she was, she was de- waiting for yeah, the redemptive she ending. In, she went in expecting him to like turn <laughs> around and like, oh no, that's not, oops. That's not what Macbeth does. But anyway, what Bildad is getting at is just kind of this whole fate. The part of the fate of the wicked is just always looking over your shoulder, always wondering when you're going to be caught, always wondering, uh, you know, wh- like he says, when is that trap coming? When is the rope happening? So I think it's a really interesting thing because Job has talked about how he's terrified. Mm-hmm. How, um, and for him, it's because he's wondering, well, what can happen next? Because all of a sudden, and it would be a, it would be an incredibly traumatic thing for any of us to have our life just kind of come crashing down yeah. in an instant, and so. Bildad is taking that emotion of Job and he's interpreting it as the guilty conscience of a wicked man. So kind of interesting. Well, I think it's interesting too to, to, I mean, we can, the, the, I don't think the intention, right? The intention of Bildad is not to be, uh, to sidestep the grief and the sorrow, but it is to try and provide clarity for why and trying to fix it. And and I think many of us, even though those of you who are listening, you know, and I know some of you personally, like I know that you've faced tragic things in your life where it seems like everything has fallen apart and come come down to a head. And so it's almost as if the it's it's that tension of the friends who love Jesus and and are just trying to console you, um, just kind of say some basic Christian cliches mm-hmm. to to help soften or encourage or be, provide hope. When you're just like, I don't need you to answer me this way. I don't, I don't need you to, I don't need those answers from you. What I need is presence. What I need is, and that, I mean, we said that you already said this earlier. It was like, Job's friends are present. Like they're with him. They've mm-hmm. spent time with him and now they're processing and answering him. But I do think it's, it's, we can understand to a degree and some of us listening, especially can understand tragedy. We can understand things falling apart. We can understand very hard trials that we're walking through and navigating through grief and mourning and different things like that. Um, and, and Bildad's trying to answer clearly, this is why it's happening. It's not hard for you to get out of it. And the reality is that he's missing it. Um, and I think that's a big part of it too. Mm-hmm. So, Well, so moving on to chapter 19, Job's reply to Bildad is, it's one of the highest points of the poetry, uh, at least in the cycle of speeches. Um, and so there's, and we talked about this a few times. There's really high highs and there's really low lows because Job is a realistic person. Mm-hmm. Like you're, and even today when we're reading, we're going to see him hit just incre- – kind of like Peter, honestly, where yeah. he goes from saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, to saying, I, I never knew you. Get away. Like Job kind of does similar things where he has these really high moments and these really low moments. Um, but he – it's interesting because he begins in a similar fashion to his last speech where he rebukes the friends. And you'll notice that in most of Job's replies, it starts with him just telling the friends like, 
you guys are being jerks right now <laughs> um, for the lack of care. And he then pivots into a cry for his plight to be remembered. And so here we see Job. And again, remember, Job is in physical pain the entire time. And he is very much anticipating that he's going to die soon. So mo- re- always read that into Job's words, that these are kind of... the. In his mind, these are his last words constantly. Like he's trying to get out what he wants to say before he this disease takes him. Uh, but he says this, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved on rock forever. Which is kind of interesting because I was in one of the commentaries, I was talking about how that's not actually a way that the Hebrews recorded history very often. They very much used um, scrolls. And so what he's describing there is actually like the the Egyptian way of maintaining knowledge, which is etching into scone, stone, scones, etching into stones. Uh, <laughs> scones would not last scones. nearly as long. What kind of scones? Um, but yeah, even today though, what, what do we see? Well, when you go into Egypt, you can find pieces of literature that are thousands of years old, but because they were inscribed on stone, they, they've lasted. And that's what Job is wanting. Um, oh, that they were an iron pen and that they were engraved on the rock forever. For I know that my redeemer lives. And that at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. If you will say, how will we pursue him? And the root is the matter. And the root of the matter is found in him. Be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings punishment of the sword, that you may know there is judgment. Be afraid of the sword." I, so it's just this interesting, there's a few parts of Job where it's like, it's so Christ adjacent, I, I guess is a way to put it, but because Job clearly doesn't know who Jesus is. Yeah. Um, and there's another character who we'll get to next week who has like, it's like, the, I was, yeah, when I was reading through the, the it's Elihu, when I was reading through the Elihu <laughs> speeches, um, there's just a part where like you, you read it and you're just struck with, it's like, you want to like go back in time and like grab him. Like you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about Jesus right now. But like, obviously that, that's not what they're aware of. Um, but I do love how the old Testament just screams out the name of Christ. And we in hindsight can look back and see where it does that. Um, and it's a great reminder for Easter as well, that like Easter is the act of redemption. It's yeah. the act of Jesus paying the price. And that's what redeemed means, right? It's um, it means to pay the price for someone else so that they don't have to go through something. And that's what Jesus has done for us. And Job knows that there is going to be someone who is able to redeem him mm-hmm. as well, which is an incredible statement of faith. Um, in chapter 20, we move on to Zophar's second speech. And this is actually the last time that we hear from him uh, for the duration of the book, which honestly, you know, I don't, think, any, here. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to lose any sleep over that. Um, Eliphaz and Bildad will each wake, make one more speech, uh, but Zophar doesn't. He leaves it at two. Uh, this could be because he runs out of things to say. I mean, who knows? Uh, there's actually, there's some people who take a section of Job's speech and they actually say that that's the Zophar speech because it feels like really out of place. But I always... I think most of the time when people do that, it's just this weird. We think in we th- we think in terms of story and not in terms of real life. Hmm. So, like when you're writing a story and someone's grieving, you write it as they're in the depths and they slowly get better and better and better. And at the end of the story, they've kind of healed. Well, that's not the way grief actually works. Like yeah. grief is a roller coaster. So I, I don't like doing that with the Job stuff. Um, I actually think that Job just shuts him up, <laughs> and so <laughs> and we'll we'll talk about Take it. That. Yeah. In chapter 20, Zophar's main argument is that the wicked always suffer. And he's like, well, Job, what do we know about the wicked? Well, here's what we know, Job. When they do wicked things, God punishes them every time. And now you're being punished. And the only explanation for that is that you're the wicked man. Um, It's essentially an argument for, we would call it karma. Like, Mm. you know, you do good things, God's going to do good things for you. If you do bad things, then God's going to do bad things to you. Um, And then chapter 21 Job rebuts Zophar's argument by essentially just telling him to like, like, you know, go outside, <laughs> like, look around. What are you talking about? <laughs> you telling me that the wicked always get punished. Um, and his point is that the wicked people prosper all the time. We see it. And it, it made me think of um, 20th century dictators, which if, if follow me for a second listener, cause this might sound weird. Um, but famously, how did Hitler die? Well, we know that he was, um, in Berlin, surrounded by enemies. He knew that his empire had crumbled around him. He knew that everything he built up 
uh, was gone and then he killed himself, right? Like that is the end that we think of for evil men. Like that's like, yes, that is how, I mean, I guess we would have wished that he would have been able to go on trial, but overall, like that's a, that's a fitting end for an evil man. Uh, but when we look, look at some of the other lives of the famous dictators, like Joseph Stalin, how does he die? He dies of old age. Like it's a stroke, I believe is what gets him. Uh, Mao Zedong, dies of a heart attack. Kim Jong-il dies of a heart attack and as an old man. Uh, Fidel Castro dies as an old man. Like it, Most of these dictators who spent years oppressing their people and doing evil things die in ways that we would all want to die, where they're old, they're surrounded by family, they kind of just die of natural causes. And so I think it's what Job is doing is he's pointing to that reality that yes, God's judgment is real and it's always going to happen but it does not always happen this side of eternity. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a trust that has to happen, just like Job trusts that his redeemer lives and that he will see him. Um, when Job says at the end, he will, he will see God, he will see his redeemer. He also has to trust that God's perfect judgment does not come fully in this life, like Zophar says it does. And I just think there's no, there's no possible rebuttal to that. And so I think that's why Zophar just stops talking because he's like, oh, all right, fine. You win. Exactly. One down. Uh, chapter 22 kicks off our third and final cycle of speeches. Um, and it's also just the absolute loss of decorum. Uh, so Eliphaz, he accuses Job of sin directly. And so this is what he says. Um, he says, can a man be profitable before to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right, or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Is it for fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant? And so that verse right there, that is the first direct accusation. Yeah. Everything else has been, hey, Job, you're suffering. The wicked suffer. Man, now Eliphaz is just throwing it all away. He's like, no, no, no. Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities, for you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing, which is, okay, he's telling people right there that he's stealing from the poor. Um, you have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and the favored man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore, snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you or darkness so that you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Okay, so this is like really intense. That's harsh. Yes. And it also, I think I hate about it too, is it's so obvious that Eliphaz is lying mm -hmm. because he opens up his first speech by saying, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it because I don't have it in front of me, but essentially, Job, you have helped so many people and you've been a good man. And now it's time for us to help you see the truth about what why this is happening to you. So he goes from that to straight up saying like, no, you've, you've wronged the poor. He's just kind of throwing accusations at the, um, at the wall. And I think it's because he is so convinced that his worldview is correct. And even in the face of insurmountable evidence against his worldview, he refuses to change. And therefore he's convinced himself that Job must have done these things. And so, I don't know, it's, it's just a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy and really sad fall for a friend who, and again, like you brought up in the very beginning, this is someone who came to Job, sat with him and mourned with him, clearly cares about Job, clearly loves him. And the last things that he says, I mean, obviously this isn't the last conversation they ever have, but the last recorded conversation we have in the book is Eliphaz just slinging arrows at Job mm -hmm. of things that have no basis. So I almost wonder if there's a sense of lostness in this. Um, what I mean by that is Eliphaz, I wonder if he, is that a loss of how to how to even approach right. and help Job when Job has rebuttaled everything that they've said? And it's almost this point's like, well, there's nothing else that can explain it. Like I almost feel like it's Lord of the Rings reference, right? <gasps> I know I think it's like one of the first ones I've done. Oh, man. Um but when uh Bilbo first has this like reaction with the ring in his hand where he becomes like this this angry like almost demonic moment yeah. right the, he 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 changes form a little bit he he, he kind of looks a little bit like Smeagol or Gollum um but there's just this moment where I, like you just sense this this all of a sudden a, f a f switch is flipped 
Yeah. And Eliaphaz is like, you're evil. You sin. You're stealing from the poor. And it's almost like he can't explain it any other way besides this is the only this is the only reason that you could be going through what you're going through. Yep. And there's nothing else I can do to convince you. Um, and it's almost like it's he, it's him throwing up his hands, unloading, and then just being done. Yep. Uh, that's kind of what it feels like for me as I read it, as we've worked through it so far. It's just this moment of like, there's nothing else I can tell you. You're wrong. You're doing something wrong. Just admit it. I'm done. Like it's, and he, I can almost feel like it's a, like a little temper tantrum. Freaks out and yeah. then storms off. No, I can see that. Um, but well, that's just my my emotional reading of it. Well, no, it follows because chapters 23 and 24 are, it's one of the low points. And so again, we talk about like, you know, Job has really high highs, mm-hmm. he has really low lows. Um, and we really see the the roller coaster of grief, grief that he's on. Um, just, yeah, just a few chapters after he's declared the truth about his redeemer. Um, he's talked about how the wicked prosper. And in this speech, he, he really just kind of just sinks back into the hopelessness that we saw in chapter three. And as you read mm-hmm. it, it's gonna, and I th- I think maybe the idea there is Eliphaz just comes at him with <clears throat> all of these accusations, and Job's response is just to remind him of where he actually is. Hmm. And I th- I think and I think it's a powerful thing that even in that moment he re- he reaches out not in the sense of a philosophical argument, but he re- he reaches out in the sense of like look where I'm at, <laughs> like and then I don't know, it's. Yeah, it's it's really sad that you can clearly see the lost friendship mm-hmm. of these men kind of playing out in this moment. Um, and then chapter 25 is the final speech by any of the friends. It's Bildad's last speech. It's also the shortest chapter in Job. So we're going to read the whole thing right now. <laughs> uh, don't act like you're not excited, listeners. Uh, it says, Then Bildad, the, Shul, uh, the Shuhite, answered and said, Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in the high heaven. Is there any number to his armies upon whom does his light not arise? How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright and even the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less than man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm. That's it. That's Sweet. Just, yeah. Bill, Bill that's Thanks, Bill Dad. Well, and I think it's kind of... Uh, and, and this is very much, you know, conjecture. So keep that in mind. I think Eliphaz is kind of the final emotional beat of the friends where it's just slings and arrows. And that's the last thing that they have. And then Bildad's is kind of just a, a coda to that, I suppose. It's kind of the reminding of the philosophical argument. And the philosophical argument is no one can be in the right before God. No one can be pure before God. God's glory is so much beyond our understanding. And as men, we are basically maggots and worms. So, and it's interesting because, and the the two hardest things I think to wrestle through with the friends are number one, seeing how, seeing their stubbornness hurt their friends and asking us in our lives, okay, well, where does our stubbornness and our unwillingness to change our mind hurt others? Um, but also so much of what they say is either true or really truth adjacent. Mm. <laughs> like they're almost like the idea of who can stand up and be pure before God. Well, the answer is clearly no one yeah. without Christ. So like in, in that, in that moment, Bildad is very much speaking truth. Um, and I think his, even the, the idea of how much less a man who is a maggot, the son of man who is a worm in some sense, I think that is actually also true because it reminds me of the Isaiah passage mm-hmm. where it talks about how our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Um, and so the idea there is trying to earn our own salvation. Obviously, it's, it's, it's not going to work because even at our best, we're nowhere near the holiness of God. Um, but I think what he misses here is that I, I think it's inappropriate to call man maggot because we are imperfect creation we sin and and we betray God and we can only have relationship with him through grace. Um, but God loves us dearly. Hmm. And I think that's what Bildad misses in, in this yeah. speech is the idea that, yes, we cannot hope to be pure before God. Yes, we cannot stand before a holy God on our own merits. Um, but God loves us. Yahweh yeah. loves us and, and Yahweh loves Job. Yeah. And we'll see that um, we'll see that before the end. Yeah. So. And I think you missed, I think that that, I mean, I think you hit it, the nail on the head there. I think, it's even today we do this. We draw an absolute um, line from a, from a truth from truth from a true statement, um, and we miss grace. 
Yeah. And, and I think that's the tension is no one can stand before God, but those who are in Christ can because Christ is, is repla- has replaced them. Um, and I think that that's a tension. Like we, we draw a very cynical worldview at times by an absolute statement that ne- like carries a negative weight and we miss the grace side of things that provides hope on the other side. Um, and, that, and that's the same example that happens here is it's, it, the, no one's righteous except in Christ and he misses the accepting Christ. But, and part of it is, I mean, the, the nature of, of the, the era they lived in, they didn't, they didn't have the hope of Christ in them. They had the right. anticipation of, of a, a Messiah at some point. Uh, but even with the way Job, when Job was written, there was also a little bit of that hadn't been fully fleshed out yet either of, of what's coming of the, of the Messiah. Yeah, so. this is pre almost certainly. Uh, and again, because when it's set and when it's written are probably different. Um, they don't have to be, but they probably are. But as far as when the setting takes place, it is pre-Mosaic, yes. almost certainly. So yeah, so they didn't have even the illusion or the promise of something, of, of, of a better, like a better right. David or whatever. Uh, they didn't have that promise. They they knew what they knew, that very much a transaction-based uh, relationship with God. And, and that's how they built their life. Yeah, at, at best, they may have the oral history of God's promise to Eve. Yeah, and and that would be I th- that would be At it best. I believe yeah so interesting uh, so chapters twenty six through twenty seven are Job's reply to Bildad and this is it, it's really it's not so much a reply to Bildad as much as it is a reply to all of the friends this is kind of what wraps it up um, in chapter twenty six Job begins by once again reprimanding his friends just kind of that's how it goes uh, he then moves on to speak about the vast glory of God um, which is interesting because if you when you read this. A lot of it feels at home in the final chapters of Job, so I won't I won't spoil what happens there. But uh, let's just say that the uh, the glory of God will be very much explored yes. <laughs> next week. Uh, in chapter twenty seven, Job declares once again that he will not lie about God and will maintain his integrity. It's an exclamation point on his victory over the Satan or the victory over the Satan, which I think is something we've kind of forgotten about. But yeah, Job mm-hmm. is saying, no, I will not curse God. I will hold fast to my integrity. I think this this moment here is really the like, you've lost, yep. like it's not happening. Um, he then ends his final reply with a curse for the wicked, which is pretty clearly talking about his friends. Um, and I think in, like it's- it's I shouldn't laugh, but Yeah, I mean, it, well, it's funny because like you said with the Psalms, it, it kind of reminds me of those, where the, the imprecatory Psalms where Job, and again, this is after, after Eliphaz, just straight up starts accusing Job of lies. Job kind of comes back and he just starts cursing his, you know, quote friends. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a, uh, again, it's just kind of sad to see the relationship fall apart there. Um, and then finally in chapter 28, we get, I, this is one of my, I, I think it's so interesting. Uh, we get an interlude poem and it divides up the halves of the book. So remember from, from the beginning of the book to now, except for the little narrative passage at the opening that kind of sets up the story, We've been in three cycles, and it's the cycle of Job and his friends talking. Chapter 28 is almost, if you if you imagine Job as a play, imagine Job's final words to the friends, and then it fades to black, and then you go to intermission. And then when you come back, chapter 28 is like the chorus sings this, and then the play starts back up again is kind of how I imagine it. Um, but we'll see another cycle of three, right? So from chapters 29 to 41, we're going to see three cycles, but instead of discussions, they're going to be monologues. So we're going to see Job have his monologue that is essentially a long drawn out defense of everything that he said. He's laying out, this is my full belief system. And then what's interesting is after that, we don't hear from Job again. Um, or I, I shouldn't say that we do, but we hear from him in like a couple sentences. It's like, it's not, <laughs> his speeches are done. Yeah. Um, and then after Job, we're going to see a monologue from Elihu, which is if you're saying, well, who's Elihu? Don't worry because yeah, he's, he's apparently been around, but he hasn't been introduced yet. So he's a little bit, he's, he's he kind of comes out of nowhere, but he's a really interesting He's the character. fourth wheel. Yep. Fifth wheel. Fifth wheel, which yeah, you know. Three and one, yeah. Fifth wheel. He's, yeah. That's kind of a. That's a sturdy bike, right? It's, a, it's an overly sturdy wheel. bike. Uh, and then finally, the final chapters are a monologue from Yahweh himself, which are, I mean, just the the high point of the poetry. It's really good. So I'm excited to be able to talk about those next week. Um, but before we get into them, the author inserts this poem in chapter 28. It's oftentimes called the wisdom poem um, for, I mean, it talks about wisdom. It's pretty obvious. Um, but I think it's there to remind us about what the central theme of the book is. 
Um, and we've spent so much time working through the arguments of Job and his friends. We, we spent so much time wrestling through essentially the question of can bad things happen to good people or will bad things happen to good people? And I think that's a really crude way of saying it because there's a lot of theological nuance there, but yeah. to, to keep it simple, that's kind of what the friends have been wrestling with. And I think this poem reminds us that really the primary question is, well, where is wisdom? Hmm. Like, how can we find out the answers to this? So it's not so much the questions themselves, the question, the answers to the questions, it's where can the answers even lie? And then we'll be reminded in the wisdom poem where it lies. And then we'll be reminded with kind of an exclamation point by the end of the book of where it lies. Uh, but I'll just read a quick passage here. This is in <laughs> chapter 28, verse starting in verse 20. It says, from where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Ah, I repeated a verse too. What are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it and he knows its place for he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and a appointed the waters by measure when he made a decree for rain and a way for the lightning and thunder. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and he searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Hmm. Oh, I wonder if that's going to... Circle gonna, back. I wonder if that's going to come up. But anyways, that's where we'll leave it this week for Job. Um, I, I don't know. I love the structure of the book because I think it's just a perfect way to kind of end it. And then next week we're going to be we're going to be in some monologues and we're going to be talking through some real some real interesting replies to the questions that Job has been wrestling with. Um, well, our final section today, we're going to talk about the gospel of Matthew, and, and we're it's going to be wrapping up the book. Oh yeah, wrapping it up, and really fitting because this is our Easter week. Uh, podcast. And so it's dropping on Easter Sunday. So we're going to be talking about some of those things. Uh, but first, as a reminder, if you, uh, you know, if you haven't left us a five-star review yet, Hey, listener, come on. I thought we, I thought we had an understanding here. So <laughs> go ahead and just oh, hop on. Shots fired. You know, just go ahead and hop on the old Apple podcast or Spotify and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. And honestly, it does just, it just helps get the podcast out there to more people and uh, grow this community that we have of people reading the Bible together. And this will be the last time you can leave us a review before we're on video. So True. Uh, how fun would it be to be one of the last ones to leave a review before we went video? Anyways. The, the OG uh, review leader. I do want to read a, uh, it's a review that's not in a, re a review, if that makes sense. But I just thought it was really kind of encouraging to me. Um, and, and part of, I think, the beauty of a community like this is we can uh, just be reminded of why we're doing what we're doing sometimes. And so uh, I received a text from a really good friend of mine, Ronnie, uh, last week. Um, and she said this uh, about the podcast, which I think, again, is, is just fun. It says, ever since you and everyone started recording the podcast, I've, I've been saying I need to listen to it. Well, last night I quit procrastinating and listened to it. Good job, Ronnie. Uh, she's like, now I've realized what I've been missing. I like reading, I like reading Job because I always thought when things go sideways and all of kinds of friends put in their opinions, I, thought, I think of Job and he just kept talking to God and always believing. Now I know what I was, that I was probably right probably on the right thinking and didn't dread reading Job. Evan is amazing to me and how he really explains things well. So everyone should get it. He must spend a lot of time studying. Yes, he does. Uh, he says, and you are the best to refer to me uh, to make, uh, and makes the verses and the message personal. I will listen to now from now on. Forgive me for not starting sooner. Uh, and she just said, thank you and Evan there for the podcast. Now I can learn more. Uh, and, and that's, I, I mean, there's not a better way to put it than that. That's our heartbeat. We want to continue to build a podcast community, uh, which is the power of a review. And so I would love for uh, you to jump on if you're able to um, and hit us up on, on Apple podcast. Also, thanks, Ronnie. Yeah. And, and you're forgiven. So. <laughs> no we, need to we apologize. For, we forgive you. Uh, it, I, I, I've said this before. I do think it's been fun to see the momentum building with just the community of, of people listening and commenting. And uh, I look forward to continue growing that. So uh, very quickly, we're going to wrap up the book of Matthew. So I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of walk us through these passages very quickly. I've got a few that I want to read because I think it's interesting and good to read. Uh, but again, just to reiterate, I think it's very fitting uh, that we're coming to the end of Matthew uh, this week coming out of Easter weekend. Uh, I know many of us, we've just spent time reflecting uh, at this point on the death and resurrection uh, and the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, but I love that we get to, to stop and revisit uh, this section uh, of Christ's 
uh, I, I, the pinnacle of what Christ did and what he came to do without the pomp and circumstance of a celebratory weekend like Easter weekend, which sounds weird to say that because we're, we're all about the party. We really believe um, that the reason for hope, we know this, the reason for hope exists in the death, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Christ, him taking our place. Um, and so it's, it's really important to celebrate and remember every day of our lives that that's a big piece. Uh, and so I, but I really think it's kind of fun to be able to stop and to read through this systematically over this next week uh, as we wrap up the book of Matthew, because I hope that there's uh, some very poignant, pondering, and reflective moments um, to to celebrate the hope and truth we have because of Christ. Um, I just want to take a moment and celebrate that alliteration of poignant pondering. That was, that was you, fantastic. That's it's what I do best sometimes. No, uh, just kidding. So so we're going to be, again, Matthew 25 to 28. This is wrapping up the book uh, of Matthew. Uh, we're going to see in chapter 25 that Jesus has finished up his teaching on the kingdom. Uh, he hits his last two parables and the parable of the 10 virgins, where he talks about being ready in anticipation. Uh, he talks about the parable of the talents, where it's this idea of don't waste what you've been given. Um, and then there's the final judgment that I think is really important, uh, as it's almost like his, his last moment before it leads into the Holy Week. Uh, and so I just want to read this. Uh, it's a few verses long. So it says this in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see you, we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as I, you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then we will say to those on the left, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will all answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say, or then he will answer them saying, truly, I say it to you, as you did not do to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And it's almost this picture as, as Jesus is wrapping up his ministry, as he's leading into the Holy Week, the climax of his reason for, for being on earth. It's this final call to not waste or squander what we what we have been called to do to be aware of what the ministry that he not just modeled with his life but also is calling his followers to it's this final call of judgment uh and so he wraps up chapter 25 we sh will shift into chapter 26 which then leads us into the holy week we see the plot to kill jesus by the religious leaders uh, we see jesus anointed to bethany uh in 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 a home by mary i believe it was mary um we see Jesus' decision to betray Jesus. He comes to the point where he goes to the religious leader and says, what would you give me if I hand him over to you? Uh, we see Jesus' Passover with the disciples. We see where Jesus then initiates the Lord's Supper. We'll do this in remembrance of me. Um, Jesus then foretells of Peter's denial. Peter doesn't like it, but he does. We see this moment in the prayer at Gethsemane where he invites those closest to his disciples to pray with him. And he goes a little further along. He is brought to the point of, uh, of sweating blood because he's overwhelmed. Um, and we see the betray betrayal and arrest, Jesus before Caiaphas and the council and Peter denies Christ. And I'm kind of just cranking through these because we just spent time this weekend. And if you're part of the Grove Church, you spent intentional time leading up to Holy Week, uh, not just in the Holy Week, but to Good Friday and then leading us to Easter weekend. Uh, and so you see this, this moment of crescendo almost is what you want to, uh, what I would call it. Um, Peter denies Christ. Then we see in chapter 27, that Jesus is delivered to Pilate. The crowds then choose Barabbas. The Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified after the crowd calls out, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus becomes mocked by the Roman guard, his crucifixion, then hit the death of Christ, Jesus being buried. Then the guard at the tomb, where they put a guard at the tomb to protect and, and make sure that no one comes and steals the body. In chapter 28, the resurrection, 
and then the report of Jesus' resurrection and then being paid off to stay silent. I want to read this because um, I've read I've read Matthew how many ever times and it's, I always forget this passage specifically. But it says this in chapter 28, verse 11 to 15. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Now, what had taken place is the, the tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. The body is no longer there. Christ is resurrected. So the guard went into the city, told the chief priests, and then it, then it says this, verse 12, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we are asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has spread among the Jews to this day. So this shows that there's still this tension of, of manipulation and silence about what happened. And obviously we sit today knowing that that truth didn't exist. It didn't stay. It didn't carry weight because the truth of Jesus' resurrection was more powerful than the truth of the the religious leaders trying to silence the guard. Um, And so I I just think it's so profound. Uh, And then finally, after Jesus' resurrection, we have one of the famous, I think, passages in the church world, and that's called the Great Commission, where you and I as followers of Christ are called uh, to go and make disciples. Um, We just got to have a big discipleship series uh, at the Grove Church. And we we talked about what does it mean to make to be a disciple who makes disciples, uh, and that was really the kind of the crux of it and the direction of it. So, uh, but we wrap up the book of Matthew, and and my hope for you this week as you're reading through uh, very familiar passages because you will have just visited Easter weekend, Good Friday and Easter weekend, is to to take a moment and to one more time reflect and rejoice and celebrate the faithfulness of God, the work of Christ, not just in His death his crucifixion, death, but also his resurrection. Uh, and, and it's a great reminder that we get to live in light of this truth every moment of every day. Uh, and so it's a great end to the book of Matthew this week. Yeah. There's really, there's no better ending than the resurrection of Jesus. Like Agreed. that's just kind of, it's, it's, it's not the ending of the Bible, but it really is the, um, it's the climax of all of scripture. Yep. And there, and there's a reason for that. Well, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. Have a have a great Easter. I mean, yes. most of you are probably listening to this after Easter. So I hope you had a great Easter. Exactly. You know, <laughs> I hope you, yeah, and, and take some, I, I think it's the same thing with many holidays, but it, obviously we're gathering with family, we're having dinner, um, the egg hunts and all that. But I would say like, make sure we take intentional time to really reflect yeah. on the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us today. Yeah. Um, finally, as a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find our other pod, now our other podcasts. So I was boom, say, yeah, you can now, starting next week. We won't be the only podcast of the Grove Church either. You can find what I didn't say on our website, Grove.Church, as well as more episodes of this. Um, and if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially support the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right hand corner. But hey, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend.